Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome to another episode of What Do You Know About? Last couple weeks, we kind of got a little bit heavy with our material, but this week... It's not, per se, lighter, but it's lighter than it could be. We are talking about a couple of cults. Right, Kat? Yeah, sounds super duper light. But, <laughs> but they're, of, not the be- they're not the worst. <laughs> of all the cults that I've heard of, these are probably not the heaviest. Like, there are worse cults out there than these. We're not getting into, like, Nexium or... Any of the cults that had, like, mass suicides, at least that we know of. I don't know with no, my cult no, no. if there were mass suicides or not. Because we don't know much about my cult yet. Mm-hmm. The um, yet has me intrigued. The yet is, like, the biggest part of my cult. And probably what I found the most interesting about it. Um, so I okay. guess we should just jump right into it. Hey, Kat? Yeah. Yes. What do you know about the cult called Mithrasium? I'm pretty sure next to nothing. Okay, then this is going to be exciting because you're not the only one that knows next to nothing about it. I'm going to take us all the way back into history with a cult that found its god in the late 1st century AD. Oh boy. Very far back. Yeah, seriously. Probably one of like the first cults ever. The god that they found is called Mithras. Mithras is depicted as a man who was born from a rock in order to hunt and kill a bull. Once his okay. deed of, quote, heroism is completed, he meets with the sun who kneels down to him. The two deities then shake hands and have a feast of bull parts. Interesting. Where about, like, geographically? We are looking at an ancient Roman cult. Oh, so there is more to this mythical god of bull slaying, um, but what I just shared are like the only confirmed parts of the myth, as there's actually no documentation of Mithras other than what archaeologists have found on the walls of these temples. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Other temples seem to have added scenes um, to the very beginning of the myth, starting with Jupiter, or Zeus, if you're more familiar with his Greek version, 
fighting right. the giants before moving on to a scene where a bearded man, considered to be Oceanus, is leaning against a rock with the leaves of a tree above him. These scenes are found at the Dura Europis Temple, the Virumnium Temple, and one of the temples found in Germany. One of the okay. very few temples that is found in Syria adds a scene to the end, where Mithras is towering over a chained demon and then attacks the city that is manned by said demons. The cult itself seems to have had its heyday in the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD before slowing down in the 4th century AD. Archaeologists haven't found any signs of it starting like in the 5th century AD, but there are rumors that there may be some present-day followers. I just couldn't find anything to back those rumors up. So that could just be rumors, like correct? No, okay. Or it could be that maybe people who are like finding out about this cult now are like, "Oh, that sounds interesting," and trying to reenact right. it or like rebuild it. I right. don't know. Kind of like what's the other one called? Is it like Hellenism, where people like nowadays are starting to believe um, in the Greek gods again? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take you today into the cult itself, teach you about the architecture of the temples and what we know about the in- initiation practices. Then we can kind of right. get more into like the theories and the modern day history. Okay. So just for you guys as the listeners and for you, Kat, um, I want to give a quick explanation of the terms that are used when talking about Mithrasium. Mithras as a god has two name variations. The Latin writings on the walls call him Mithras with an S, while the Greek writings remove the S, leaving his name as Mithra. For the sake of the podcast, I'm going to stick with the Latin version because it seems to be the most commonly found spelling. The temples are either called Mithrae or Mithraeum, depending on the grammar slash tenses being used. Um, Mithraeum is actually a fairly modern term. Inscriptions in the Italian temples usually call it a splayum, while the temples outside of Italy refer to them as templums. And then the time period of the cult is called Mithrak. I'm going to do my best to pronounce everything correctly as we go through, <laughs> but it's a lot of like Latin spellings, and I never learned Latin other I than mean... some like swearing that my great grandparents taught me. Now that that's all out of the way, let's look at the juicy stuff. Yeah. Um, Mithrak temples are found unevenly distributed throughout the Roman Empire of the time. Over 420 temples have been uncovered, and it is expected that archaeologists are going to find many more. Most of these temples are throughout Rome, Ostia, Numidia, Dalmatia, Britain, and along the Rhine-slash-Dambu frontier, while they're less commonly found in Egypt, Syria, and Greece, hence why the Latin version of Mithras is the most used name for the god. Um, That's pretty widespread. Yeah, like, there's a ton of temples. It was not small. Wow. So, it's, like, I wouldn't, like, I would say this is, like, to me it sounds almost like a secret society more than a cult. Yeah. But when you get to the initiation part, it definitely kind of sounds cultish. It gets, okay. It does get a little bit cultish. It's more cultish with the actual practices. Yeah. Well, what we know of the practices. A Roman Syrian philosopher, like way back in the day, named 
for free was quoting from the Lost Handbook of Eubolus and said that Mithras was always worshipped from an underground rock cave. This cave is where Mithras is said to have killed the bull and is usually laid out with a central aisle um, as two raised like podium aisles on either side. All the temples are found near springs or streams as fresh water seemed to be required in the Mithraic uh, rituals and basins were always found incorporated into the structures. I actually find that really interesting because fresh water and like flowing water is actually very common in the ideals of like spiritualism that it's said that like the flowing water and stuff will actually make it easier for spirits to rise and communicate um, and that like the energy is much stronger near like fresh flowing water. Interesting. So, like, when we look at, like, haunted buildings and stuff, if it's known that there was or is, like, an underground um, lake or stream or whatever, then paranormal investigators are like, bingo, that's probably why, like, the activity is so heightened in this location. Right, okay. So I think that's kind of interesting, especially when we look at, like, some of the theories as to what this cult was kind of maybe doing or worshipping. I definitely want to see that come into play. Yeah, I think that I think that that will kind of come into play a little bit and give us like a little bit of an idea of what of like why they were wanted to be here and its relationship to their practices. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So each temple mirrors a modern day church in a way. There's an antechamber at the entrance of the ta- temple, which kind of like mirrors like that gathering area before like members of the cult or the church would enter into the main worship room. Archaeologists have also found separate rooms meant for storage and food preparation. I personally do not want to even think about the types of food that they might have been preparing with. Um, When you kind of hear about, like, some of how the deities are represented. Okay. Kind of makes me a little bit worried. Especially since (laughs) the god himself was feasting with the sun on, like, bull parts. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, probably, like, the the bowl would be, like, a big thing. Yeah. That, like, butchering it and serving it up would make sense. Exactly. Um, Mithras wasn't the only deity that Mithraic initiates uh, worshipped. As okay. temples have been uncovered throughout history, historians and archaeologists have found images of a mysterious lion-headed figure, which may have been called Arimanus. Um, the bearded man thought to be Oceanus, and two torchbearers by the names of Cotus and Cotopetus. Oh boy. <laughs> There's a lot of really Cot- big, weird Latin spelling words. words. <laughs> so, Cotus and Cotopetus? Yes. I wonder they're, if they're twins. I think they, they, they seem to be, um, when you look at like the actual carvings, which I will make sure are on our Instagram for people to see, mm. they are very similar looking people as the two torchbearers and they're pretty much always like on either side of either soul the sun or mm-hmm. mithras interesting okay um there's also a deity named Kalis, who is sometimes depicted as an eagle bending over a zodiac inscribed sphere of heaven researchers sometimes connect Kalis to cotus and wonder if this deity is actually a Kalis eternus or eternal sky um, which lines up with the Mithras, Mithraeum of Dyberg, 
which has a representation of the tripartite world um, with Calus, Oceanus, and Tellus, the Roman goddess of the earth, uh, sitting under Phaeton Heliodromus, the son of the sun and the courier of the sun combined. Oh boy. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, they didn't seem to like just one deity. Like they, It's almost like they kind of like picked some deities and decided like, hey, we like these guys. Okay, so so some of them were, like, Roman, like you said, like, Oceanus was in there. So some of them are, like, Roman deities, and then also they added in their own? I don't think they fully added in, like, their own. Um, I if, if I noticed correctly, like, most of these deities, like, how the names are, like, how they were inscribed on the wall, at least, are kind of, like, it's almost like the Mithrasian people decided, or uh, initiates decided to kind of, like, take deities that were already kind of known to them and then mm-hmm. but then make it like their own gotcha okay um so kind of like um some are ultimate kind of, universe fan fiction kind of thing yeah because some of them when i like when you try looking them up you, you see them more known in their greek like as like their greek forms not their roman oh, okay. forms so yeah it might even be that they're kind of taking a little bit from like both um mm-hmm. mythologies it's hard to tell because, as I'll talk about like later, there's not much actually known other than what's just inscribed and written on these walls. Um, right, and, and researchers... from that we can only piece together so much. Exactly, and like researchers can kind of tell like some of the major ones, like Jupiter um, and Sol and stuff, right? But some of the other ones, it's a little bit harder to differentiate as to, okay, well, where did they take it from exactly or did they kind of do a mishmash right even though there are other deities depicted in these temples every single temple has one main centerpiece which is called the taro katani the taro katani depicts the battle between mithras and the bull mithras is clothed in an antolian costume while wearing a ferrigan cap to put it in a more modern context, he was dressed in a very Turkish fashion with a hat that kind of looks like the ones that are on garden gnomes. <laughs> he kind of looks silly, well, look. to be honest. It's like a weird mishmash of things. Please tell me you've got pictures of this. To put I to the do Instagram. have pictures of it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Because that sounds ridiculous for an ancient Roman to just have like a Robin Hood esque like gnome hat. Like no. Gnome hats like the tall, pointy one. No, like the ones that kind of have like the rice crispy, like the rice crispy characters. Oh yeah, okay. like the hats that are kind of that kind of have like that weird, like they're like a toque, but then they have like that weird, like little like curve to like them a, that comes towards like the front, like a Smurf hat. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Our hero is frozen in the moment as he is killing the bull. With one knee holding the exhausted bull to the ground, his left hand holding the bull's nostrils, and his right hand stabbing the bull in the neck. My goodness, okay. His head is turned towards Sol, a.k.a. the sun. I imagine looking at him for, like, approval for being such a good boy and killing this bull for reasons that we have no idea why he had to kill the bull. But I'm I mean, like, Daddy says you kill a bull, you kill a bull. That's just how it is, you know? Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, the guy was born from a rock, so really, who is the guy's dad? <laughs> or is he just like, ooh, I was born from a rock. The sun looks cool. I'm going to worship the sun and do what the sun tells me to. <laughs> like, I don't know. 
What's more interesting, though, is that different temples have different carvings of the scene. Oh, so okay. the same so scene is in Linda. Yeah, so like each scene is in the what I just described is exactly what's in there, but each temple has different carvings of it where they've maybe added some artist renditions. Interesting. Including things like Mm -hmm. a scorpion grasping the poor bull's genitals or a dog and a snake licking the blood as it drips from the bull. Oh. As I'm like, I'm pretty sure these things weren't actually there (laughs) when this happened. I, because not all of them have the scorpion or the dog and the snake. Some do, some don't, some have both, some have one or the other. So, like a bad game of telephone, some things got added in when they shouldn't have been. (laughs) I'm going to guess so. Okay. But I feel really bad for this bull. Yeah, seriously, what did the bull do to to deserve this? Well, according to, like, the um, Mm storyline of the the events, like, dude is born from a rock, goes off, Mm -hmm. finds a bull, hunts it, chasing it down until it's exhausted, and then dragging it into a cave in order to kill it while looking out at the sun. Oh. So I have no idea what they were on, but there were hallucinogens, like, like samples of hallucinogens and stuff like that found in the temples, so they had to be on something. What? Oh, that's crazy. I've heard of, um, like, seers, uh, from that time where they would, uh, stand over a vent where, like, gases would come up from the earth that would cause them hallucinations, and then they would proclaim that as prophecy. Uh, and people at the time, of course, had no idea about, like, the science behind this or how it worked or anything. So they were like, oh, you're talking about these cra- crazy things. It, it must be true. You must be a seer. But really, it was just they were they were, they were were high. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't, like, totally surprise me. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? That explains it. <laughs> yeah, I think that these guys did get high, at least during the initiation stuff, probably, mm. and during their worshipping, um, because there is, like, evidence of it. But, yeah. I'm wondering if even, like, the artists got high or something while they were carving into the temple. I don't know. So I do encourage our listeners to do some research or follow the show notes uh, for more information about the various deities, because it is quite interesting. But I'm going to move on to the actual actions of the cult itself, because it's even more interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. With any good cult, we need an, initi- an initiation process. The Mithrasians mm-hmm. decided that new members should undertake seven graduated tests in order to prove themselves holy and steadfast. Okay. Since it's very early ancient Rome, uh, only men were allowed to be members of the cult. Naturally. There's not evidence about, like, all seven of the in- the graduated tests, And, like, what they entailed. But there are five frescoes that depict some of the stages of initiation. And I will give a slight warning trigger to people if you are squeamish about, like, bondage and... Or have been, like, abused. Oh, we're going there. (laughs) We're going there. Do you want to repeat your trigger warning one more time without me uh, getting accepted? Well getting um no i like it i'm keeping that in Uh, (laughs) okay so the five frescoes depict a man being blindfolded while naked kneeling Uh with his hands tied behind his back before he is unblindfolded and crowned only to be restrained from standing up and then laying on the ground as if he is dead 
Okay, so hold, so okay, so he's blindfolded. Blindfolded while he's, naked. Well, yeah. Don't forget the nudity. Clarify. <laughs> <laughs> so blindfolded, naked, kneeling down, unblindfolded, still kneeling, still restrained. Yeah, he's kneeling down with his hands. Yeah, his hands are tied behind his back. Then apparently he's unblindfolded and crowned, but still restrained. But still with his hands behind his back. Then and then on the floor as if he's dead. Well, then he's then it's like that people are like stopping him from standing up, like he's being restrained from being allowed to stand up from his kneeling position, and then he is laying on the ground as if he is dead. What? on earth <laughs> and that's only five of the frescoes what that have been found like there's two more parts of this initiation i do not know where in this timeline of these five frescoes those two parts go what is this ritual i'm like i'm i'm trying to think of it from all angles like is the crown symbolic are they literally doing this to a person is it like what <laughs> i don't How does know he end up on the ground why is he, like, trying to, like, fight them and they have to, like, keep him down? And if he, like, and he just goes until he passes out or something? Like, what? Well, I don't know. Cause I they're, ha- like, they're supposed to be somehow proving themselves to be holy and steadfast. So maybe the others are trying to push him over and he has to stay upright? Like, I'm, 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 I'm very confused about the implications of this. And I have so many questions and I, I don't know if I want answers. <laughs> I would like to get the answers. We just don't have the answers. <laughs> but I will admit, it does not sound like a lot of fun. So, okay. So, we know that there's seven steps, but we only have five. So, how do we know that there are two other steps? Because here are what they're believed to be based on due to the like some of the carvings that they have found. Okay. And I apologize for the whiplash that this will give you oh, after boy. just hearing about what the five frescoes show. The right. seven initiation tests are believed to be based on the number of grades and planets in the solar system as zodiac imagery is a big part of the carvings throughout all the temples. Okay. Not sure how being blind, like nude, blindfolded, physically <laughs> restrained multiple ways, and then laying on the ground dead has anything to do with the zodiac imagery. Okay, does he look dead or like exhausted? Like, is he like like bleeding know. out or like the um like just like everything that I like every um like everything paper about it like the the way that they describe it is that he's laying on the ground as if he is dead. I have so many questions. <laughs> so I have no idea. <gasps> oh, to have a time machine and to be able to just go back and ask, right? <laughs> That'd be really nice. Or just to be able to, like, watch the initiation or something and take notes. I don't know if I want to be there for it, but I kind of wanted to hear the ending. Okay, so a mosaic in the Ostia Mithraeum of Felicimus depicts the grades along with the common objects for the grade and the proper greeting. So there are seven grades, um, but I'm just going to share my two favorites. Uh, I will make sure to have a table with the seven grades on our Instagram page, uh, Lit Story Podcasts, so you can take a look and you can tell us which grade you would want to be protected by. So my first favorite one is the Korax, or the raven, whose symbols are a raven and a beaker, with the greeting of Nama to the ravens under the protection of Mercury. 
My okay. second favorite, of, of course, no. because we all know I love animals, is Leo, a.k.a. the lion, who has right. symbols of the fire shovel, a rattle, sistrum, and thunderbolt with the greeting of Nama to the lions under the protection of Jupiter. Okay, so we had Mercury. I said God of War. I was thinking of Mars. So Mercury is the uh, the messenger, though, right? Yes, which would okay. go well with a raven. Right, which um, makes sense. Okay, so Mercury, the messenger, and then Jupiter, so Zeus. God of Lightning. Yeah, and and some and for some reason he's the lion. I mean, I guess because like Jupiter was like he was like the Zeus, right? So he was like the the king of like amongst the yeah. gods and yeah. was like the head honcho, right? Yeah, so, so I can see how the lion imagery sense. could tie yeah. in. So. We know that the initiates go through the seven tests, mm-hmm. but then there's also something about that the leader of each temple is believed to be put through seven special tests in order to become the pater or the father of the temple. Okay. So I don't so, know if there's actually, if there's seven tests for each initiate and then like an extra seven tests, or mm-hmm. if there's like a special part to each test for the initiate, like for the initiates, that will then be like, okay, you can be a father of whatever. Interesting. Okay. Um, because one temple has inscriptions about the Pater Leonum or the father of the lions, which may mean that there was actually a father for each of the seven grades. Okay. Um, once the initiates made it through the tests, they would shake hands with the Pater, as Mithras did with Sol, in order to complete the administ- the admission process. They would then be known as syndexitoi, uh, translation being those united by the handshake. Those united by the handshake? Yeah. So I guess because of the whole, like, the god shaking hands with the sun before feasting on the bowl, that that once you've made it through your tests, you would shake hands as he did, and that would be your, uh, like, your final congratulations you may join our cult. Right, like kind of replicating the scene from the myth. Okay. Yeah. Um, Historians aren't sure on what happened inside the temples while it was practiced. What they can figure out is that it may have started as a religion for the Roman soldiers who wanted to believe in a protector. Why they think that uh, that the greetings are like Nama to the lions under the protection of Jupiter. Right, so, that can make sense. So it seems like you've got, like, different, like, clans per cult mm-hmm. um, as to who your protector is. Mithrasium is also considered as a possible early rival or sister religion for Christianity. However, any reputable sources are not, um, are literally, that aren't literally carved or painted into the stone were either rarely created or they were destroyed before history could preserve them. Gotcha. I see absolutely zero connections between it and Christianity. So I don't see it as being a sister religion. They have like no similar foundations whatsoever. I'm but wondering, rival religion, I could see. Yeah, like I think rival religion, but I think that they're kind of considering it as like a sister religion in the fact that it was like pretty much like just as big as Christianity. Like oh, 420 I see temples, what you mean. right? So I think that there's like things similar to... size at similar times. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm going to go through looking at the modern, like more modern theories and stuff, because this is actually pretty interesting as well as like what we do know, the theories mm-hmm. are pr- almost more interesting. And 
I was asking a lot more questions, but there's <laughs> definitely no answers to any of my questions yet. Hopefully somebody's going to yeah. figure this out, though. So David Ulancey is the author of the book The Origins of Mithraic Mysteries, Cosmology, and Salvatio in the Ancient World. His research has pointed him towards the idea that this is a cult that basically worshipped the Zodiac. The theory okay. is that the cult's main iconography is a star map, making the bull that Mithras slaughtered literally the Zodiac Taurus. Oh, okay. Um, the murder of the specific bull would have then shifted the progress of the equinoxes. At this time in history, society saw the universe as a stagnant entity. If the Mithraic members were worshipping this theory, it would actually make them the holders of the secret information that the cosmos actually move and can be altered. Interesting. But that's a pretty big if. That's a pretty big if, especially because a lot of, like, the actual thinking about this, like, happened, like, much more modern in the time frame. Yeah. Um, like, it took quite a while for everybody else to catch up. Yeah. So they would have been, like, way, 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 way ahead of their time. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, like, when we look at, like, secret societies and cults, a lot of them kind of, like, the theories about them all make them seem like they're ahead of their time. So it could be possible, because they were looking at, like, the Zodiac, and, like, we already know for sure with what we've seen in the temples that they were very much ruled by, like, the cosmos, and the Romans already had, like, the planet names for their gods, right? Um right. So, I mean, it's possible that they did kind of understand something that they maybe didn't fully understand, but they had that intuition about it. yeah. They had some intuition or they saw something that other people hadn't taken into account of yet or something like... Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's too bad that we don't have more, like, documentation from them that would kind of tell us exactly what and how and why they believed what they believed. Yeah, it'd be really kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yolancy's theory actually brings us to a pop culture tie-in with this story. Okay. The ancient Romans um, seemed to believe that Mithras was a Persian god. Ulancy's book brings forth the theory that Mithras was, is actually the Greek hero Perseus hidden behind the cosmos. Oh, you know what? That can make sense. The popular middle grade book author uh, Rick Riordan actually mentions yeah. this cult in one of his Percy Jackson spinoff series. Um, Grant is pretty sure it's the Mark of Athena that it's mentioned in. But he like in swears that it was mentioned in the spinoff series for the Percy Jackson series. I'm Googling. I can't help it. I like the Percy Jackson series too much to not be Googling this right now. Hang on. I've only read book one still. I really need to read the rest. According to the Warriors, one of the gods who replaces Athena as a war deity was a Persian god being adopted by the Romans. Yeah, okay, so Mark of Athena makes sense because Mark of Athena, Percy wakes up in a camp with a bunch of Roman uh, demigod children that they didn't yeah. know existed before that. Uh, yeah, it talks about the seven rites. Oh, maybe this is... Yeah, it shows up in Mark of Athena. Yeah. Uh, Aphrodite mentions Mithras as one of the deities that replaced Athena. Later, Annabeth encounters a dozen ghosts similar to the uh, Lares of Camp Jupiter in their sacred cavern of Mithras when she follows the Mark of Athena and Owl. The ghost realizes An- Annabeth's disbelief and asks her to choose a 
uh, her path of death or else Mithras will choose it for her. That's why this sounds familiar to me because I've read this. So <laughs> that's why I was, I was real thing. like, I know, because <laughs> I was sitting here this whole time, every time you've like mentioned the name, I'm like, it sounds vaguely familiar, familiar, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. And I don't know why this sounds familiar, but it sounds like something I know. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. It's because middle school Kate was a giant nerd. I would have been. I just never picked up the series. <laughs> it was a good series. I recommend. I'm working through it. I'm slowly working my way through it. I promise. Personally, I think Heroes of Olympus, like the sequel series to the Percy Jackson uh, series, was better. But that's just that's just me. Well, I'll have to let you know when I get there. All right, sorry. And <laughs> enough about Percy Jackson. Let's talk about this cult again. Okay, we're getting almost to the end because <laughs> there's not much to, like that's known about it. But archaeologists and historians are still working on uncovering the mysteries of this ancient cult. But actually, anyone can act, can visit some of the temples. One of the best okay. laid out temples is the London Mithraeum. This specific temple was discovered by accident in 1954 when crews were cleaning up the rubble on Victoria Street after World War II. Oh. Thousands of people queued for hours to have a chance to view the temple as it emerged from the bomb site. On the final day of the um, excavation, the Tarakani depicting Mithras was unearthed, clarifying exactly what type of temple they had found. Here's the sad part. The archaeologists okay. and officials in charge of the site proposed just getting rid of the temple. No, they didn't. They did. Oh, Because come on. it was not in a very good place for them. Oh, I'm sorry. This piece of history was inconvenient for you. Let's just go ahead and destroy it. That sounds yeah. like a great idea. But the public and the press raised a ruckus. So it was haphazardly reassembled 100 meters away so that they could rebuild the city on the original site. Oh, that hurts. And they didn't use the proper, like, the, they, they didn't rebuild it to what it was. Um, right. They used, like, the wrong types of mortar and everything. Ah, gross. Okay. So Bloomberg acquired the site in 2010. And started wow, the long okay. process of dismantling and faithfully reconstructing the temple. Wow. Um, okay. This particular temple had seven pairs of columns that likely represented the seven stages of initiation and the solar grades. Okay. However, the original columns were actually cut out and believed to have been sold when another Roman cult had taken over the temple, like, many years ago. But um, they could kind of see... Like, still, like, where the columns would have been. Oh, okay, okay. To know that so there are seven pairs of columns. Interesting, okay. Um, what's actually interesting about this particular um, location is that four known temples are found in the UK. Three are on the frontiers of Roman Britain in Wales and on Hadrian's Wall in Northumberland. The London Mithraeum shows that the cult had actually spread from the Roman army to the merchants and the traders that would have worshipped further into the Roman cities. Okay. So most of like most of the temples are like in the in general in the world are found where like the armies would have been holding um, the lines for the Roman Empire, which reinforces that theory that it was a bunch of soldiers who were seeking protection from anything they could get. Yeah, like their hands on essentially. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but like some, but then there's like the one. Uh, 
there's the temples that um, have been found more inland, like the London one, um, that would show mm-hmm. that the merchants and traders and other folks, like other Roman men, would have also right. been worshipping the same I wonder, cult. I wonder if veterans would have been a part of that as well. Like, if they worshipped while they were, like, off doing the military thing, and then they came home and they brought it with them. Possibly. Then that would bring you inland too, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, we're not going to know um, yeah. because, like, there's no record other than just what's on the temple walls, which what's on the temple walls basically just shows us what they were kind of worshipping, not how they were worshipping it. Right, yeah. Um, or who was worshipping it, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the restored temple site reopened in 2017. Nice. And the London Mithrium welcomes approximately 600 visitors per day. They are That's... a multi-sensory mm-hmm. museum that does their best to recreate what they think a common Mithrac uh, worship ceremony would look like. Sadly, I couldn't based find, on... like, I think based on this, like, what they have found and like, what researchers have found, that they're kind of like, okay, maybe this is what they did. Um, right, like, more or less, it would probably be something along these lines. Yeah. I think that's kind of, like, really cool, but, and I would love to know what it is, but I couldn't really find much <laughs> online that kind of told me, like, what the steps of the ceremony were. Like, what um, they actually do. Because I think that they actually want so you to go to it. it. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, so you'll have to go to the museum and find out. Which, I mean, I would happily go visit one of the original Star Cult temples. Like, <laughs> that would be kind of cool to actually see it now that I kind of have more of an idea of what it is. Right. And especially since, like, there are other, like, future cults that are based around the stars. But this is, like, one right. of the original ones. Right. Or one of the earliest ones. Some of them would probably be coincidental, but yeah, just because the stars are a great thing. Like, if you think of, like, the celestial bodies and stuff and how impressive and how mysterious it was to early peoples, it makes sense that a lot of people would want to worship it. It may not be connected, like, to each cult, but it's they, they clearly have the same interest in common. Yeah, and um, I think like, what I've seen, like, Mithrak, the cult, like, this particular cult seemed to actually kind of have things like on brand with what we know now about the celestials um right like they had the, so they were like like they had like the seven planets mm. and stuff right they had like other than earth yeah um they had the zodiac down pat like to a t and stuff right and like if that one book Turns out the guy who came out of a rock was actually a time traveler who was just teaching them, like... Could that be cool? <laughs> um, but no, like, if, if Ulancey's right and that the cult was worshipping the idea of the cosmos actually moving and that this god slaughtered the actual, like, zodiac bull... Right. That would have shifted the progress of the equinoxes. Like, that is, that is some, like, Doctor Who shit. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like, they would have, they they had, it seems like they might have predicted a lot before their time. Yeah, which is a crazy prediction, and yeah. So, I kind of want to know what happened in their ceremonies, (laughs) because, I mean, it's called a cult, 
but it does seem like a it could be like a secret society more so i would like to know more information about what they actually did to know for sure if it's an actual cult or if it's like a secret society well this is a thing a cult so much of what defines a cult is that like the way that the be- they behave and the culture within the like I don't know micro religion, but like that is so much of what defines like a cult is like the tactics and the brainwashing and the like all these other kinds of things too, right? So like yeah, I mean without knowing any of that, it's kind of hard to say that it is a cult. It like see, I, I think I kind of am leaning towards your side, right? I think secret society almost sounds like a better descriptor here. Yeah, like unless like somehow during the initiation there is some sort of like brainwashing like maybe that's where yeah. some of like the hallucinogens and substances that they found like evidence of came into play mm. or if it was just part of their worship like we've had like LSD churches and stuff like that in our in our more recent pasts so it's not completely out of the realm to believe that they might have been taking substances during the ceremonies in order to get closer to this mythical god like, of theirs but yeah yeah like i'm almost more inclined to say it's a secret society than a cult but i figured may as well like look into it when it's called a cult by historians yeah. and archaeologists and for sure it's clearly known as a cult yeah interesting yeah i yeah if you ever get a chance to uh <laughs> to go to that museum <laughs> I will I, definitely I try because I want to know about like their <laughs> like what they're doing. Like it looks really cool. Like they have glass over top, so you can actually like walk over top. Of okay, the... so that you're not like so you're not actually walking on the historical ground, but that you can walk on like the glass over top of it. So you're walking what they would have walked without actually wrecking the stonework and stuff of yeah. it. Like, still preserving it, but also you get to see it and experience it. Yeah. It's a good way to do it. So, definitely going to be on my bucket list for whenever I get over to London. Yeah. So, I guess movie, we can, I guess we can move on from a cult that we don't know <laughs> if it is a cult to one that I'm going to guess is most likely a cult. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, see, here's the thing. <laughs> it is. They'll try to tell you that it isn't. Technically, it's a little bit of a gray area, but it is. Um, but what cult actually, is actually going to come out and be like, hey, come join us. We are a cult. Well, see, this is part of the problem, right? So it like it, it, it absolutely is, but technically it isn't necessarily classified as a destructive cult, but I'll explain that in a little bit. So Ashley, what do you know about Celestial Seasonings? Nothing. Okay. It is a tea company. I uh, like tea. They are the kind of tea company where you may know them without realizing that you know them. Uh, you may know them for their sleepy time tea and the cozy and adorable teddy bear on the box and inspirational quotes on the tea bags. It's so cozy and so nice, and it was founded by a cultist. Okay. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about a man named Mo Siegel. That name does sound familiar. So Mo Siegel is uh, the cultist in question, but he grew up before he joined the cult drinking and enjoying herbs and like herbal teas, which was apparently uncommon in like Eurocentric places in the 60s, like uh, in, you know, North America and like England and stuff like it was less common they call, for what they called like oriental teas to be available okay so in the late 60s he opened up a health food store that was also an art gallery because he also liked art apparently and he served herbal teas from Asia before realizing that he could actually just make herbal teas from local herbs from the nearby Rocky Mountains in Colorado okay so his, his teas were a success because, you know, they were so unique. And he and uh, his co-founder, John Hay, grew the business into the massively successful Celestial Seasonings. It is one of the biggest tea companies in America. Again, if you saw the box, you've probably seen it in your local Walmart. Like, it's like, and we can probably put an image up on the Instagram. Like, it's 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 one of those teas that you just expect to see in your grandma's cupboard. Um, see, like, I drink a lot of tea, mm-hmm. but I actually don't recognize that brand i mean like i said it's like a walmart tea like it's like it's like um a mass-produced like it's not like a handcrafted you know particularly unique tea anymore uh it started off being very handcrafted and like in hand-sewn like parchment bags and stuff like that but now it's very much a mass-produced like it's like it's almost like tetley but for herbal teas Okay, because I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. I usually use more, like, merchies and stuff like that. And I don't mm-hmm. really look at, like, the grocery store teas. 
See, this is what I mean. <laughs> so that's probably why I'm like, I I know teas, but I do not know this one. Yeah, let me send you a picture of their box. We'll see if we'll see if it's familiar. Hang on. Okay, I do recognize it then. Yeah, I think see? I've actually had um, at least one type of tea from them, and I didn't like it. See, this is exactly what I mean. <laughs> so he found this. He found this niche. He found a way to fill it. He found a way to do it locally which gave him a fairly unique business at the time. This is like 1969 at this point, right? Okay. okay. So at the same time that this was happening, Siegel and Hay, the two co-founders, were reading and being inspired by a book called the Urantia book. I'm sorry, repeat and this, that name? The Urantia book. What the heck is this book? A hot mess of a holy book. That is okay. what the book is. <laughs> gotcha. It, okay. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not one to shit on people for their beliefs. Uh, but this book is full of absolutely disgusting ideology and that was founded in literal racism, ableism, and eugenics. Yeah, I do not like this book already. Obviously. So this is your trigger warning here. There's going to be a lot of discussion about eugenics specifically in um, connection to racism and ableism. I do not go into detail too much, but I do give overviews of the general belief system. So if that's like, if that's an issue, then, like, this cult is going to be a trigger because this cult is absolutely fucking terrible. As somebody who has disabilities, I will warn that I'll be very upset about this yeah. cult, I think. That's fair. Like I said, the mindset behind this, absolutely gross. But there's also some absolutely bonkers things that they believe as well that are just, like, I, uh, it's it's a whole thing. So, um, so that, it takes some of the edge off of it because... Like the the other things that they believe are so absolutely ludicrous that it makes the eugenics seem just as ludicrous. Okay. So it it does take some of the edge off of it, but yeah, this is this is the warning. So this book, this this hot mess of a holy book, was first published in 1955, which is far too recent, and was likely written by William Sadler, although he would never obviously admit that he wrote it. William Sadler for the people who aren't World War II his, uh, history buffs, um, was a American psychologist, if you can call him that, from the early 1900s, and not the actor by the same name. There is a there is a modern movie actor with the same name, not the same person. Would like to make that extremely clear. <laughs> so William Sadler, the psychologist, uh, also wrote other books encouraging racial eugenics that don't even deserve to be named because, again, they're disgusting. The Cliff Notes version is that he believed that the, quote, Nordic race was the most evolved and that the other races, take a wild guess at which, uh, were less evolved and therefore shouldn't be bred with, which is just disgusting and, uh, like, scientifically disproven and a line of thought that was disturbingly popular before World War II um, that some people just wouldn't let go of uh, after Hitler showed the entire world that it was probably a bad idea. Yeah, because I'm like, we have that here in Canada, too. A lot of eugenics that happened even after World War II. Yeah, and it's so gross, and it never should have, and it's just... So, like I said before, Sadler claimed that the book wasn't written by him, and the whole organization is very hush-hush about how they actually got the book. They claim it's because the what they call the revelatory commission didn't want a human name attached to the writing and we should just take it as is you know 
they they describe it as you can enjoy a symphony without knowing who the who the musician was so you should treat the book the same way but its teachings are so gross that you bet i'm gonna be skeptical as hell about this book (laughs) yeah i will definitely agree on that yeah it's not like a movie where you don't know the name of the director and you can still enjoy it it's 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 it makes some absolutely wild claims and it has nothing to back it up literally nothing they claim that it was somehow communicated to them through a person who was in a trance guided by an alien which is apparently completely like a completely different experience than hypnotism or anything spiritual even though they don't say how okay so just you know take their word for it this guy's definitely not high and he's definitely like not just babbling or like schizophrenic or anything he's absolutely certainly communicating the words of an alien while he's in a trance okay yeah right like this this is the basis this is the foundation they changed their like pattern of life based on this okay so these people are nuts got it yeah (laughs) so literally so their um story goes that william sadler psychologist what they call the sleeping man was had a had a wife i think like there's there's a couple different versions of the story that i've come across and the foundation itself like i said doesn't go into detail with it but through like interviews with certain people and stuff the story that i most commonly saw was that um the the wife of what they call the sleeping man uh came to sadler saying hey my husband is like perpetually in this trance and he's saying some interesting things like can you come and see if you can diagnose him and sadler came and Uh, investigated and couldn't pin him to any form of psychosis that was known or any kind of mental illness that was known and so he was like no everything he's saying absolutely must be true because he believes it's true uh and they kind of just went from there okay so uh yeah so this entire book by the way is available online for free and completely copyright free and like and everything because the group won't claim authorship and they're trying to spread the word thankfully they only have a few thousand followers so they're they are tiny cults comparatively but that's still a few thousand too many so we don't know what those few thousand could get into yeah see this is the thing yeah so as i've said a few times now the book is gross it's not based on like anything that you could like reasonably like like you and i know how to kind of take a look at our sources and gauge them to see how reliable they are this is like the least trustworthy source it's literally a man in some kind of comatose trance like it's like uh but they believed him so yeah so some of i i don't want to go too far into it but i want to give a brief overview as to like how the book is unhinged i'm preparing myself I've got a list of like eight things that kind of more or less cover the line of thought here. So number one, they believe God is an alien called the deity and a little piece of the deity is in all of us called a thought adjuster, kind of like a low-key hive mind. The deity had many sons that he sent to billions of inhabited worlds in order to claim them because Earth is far from being the only inhabited world. Okay, so which son claimed us? Was that so, then Jesus? Uh, like... Jesus. Jesus Jesus the Christ. Yes, that's what they're claiming. So this gets weirder. Actually, no, sorry. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Jesus was sent later, but Adam and Eve. Jesus was the son. Adam and Eve were the people who were sent like as like the first wave in order to prepare the like. Okay. 
it, it gets weirder. It gets even more okay. convoluted, and the book itself does not have like a clean storyline. So, gotcha. uh, okay. Uh, so this book also includes because it's the whole thing. By the way, is that like anything that we consider spiritual is actually aliens. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's like kind of like the underlying theme of this thing. So it includes descriptions of the universe and details about genetics that have all been proven false, like getting the wrong count of human chromosomes in a human body and descriptions of the universe that are just like inaccurate. Like we know what our galaxy looks like now. We've got the telescopes and it does not match uh, Urantia's description of it. So it's it's just wrong scientifically. Okay. Even at that, like, basic level of, like, if they were aliens who claim to know everything there is to know about evolution, then they should know this, and they did not. So, wanted to point that out just for the disproving of all the other wackadoo stuff. So, point number four, they believed that there there are six races of this alien species. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and indigo. Are we the rainbow? Yeah. Yeah, literally. So, and each of, they believed that these races were literally these colors. Like, there was a red race, and they were red. There was a blue race, and they were pale with blue eyes, a.k.a. white people. And there was a very... And point number six, or point number five, there was a specific hierarchy to these races. Okay, I'm guessing blue was number one. Yeah, so indigo, green, and orange, which are all secondary colors, are also secondary races. And blue, red, and yellow, which are all primary colors, are also all primary races. Okay. So... (laughs) Like, I literally have my head in my hands right now, just (laughs) shaking my head at these people. It gets worse. No, please not worse. So, yeah, with with blue being sent to subdue indigo, right? And blue, the blue race would have been, yeah, I'll I'll get into that in point seven. Okay, so moving on to point six. They believed that various biblical characters, namely Adam and Eve and even Jesus Christ, as well as um, the angel Michael and Lucifer, um, were all actually blue aliens sent to Earth to, quote, upstep the human race, which basically means to come in and, you know, supposedly purify the planet by eliminating the natives. Take a wild guess as to who the natives of Earth might have been. I'm guessing you're talking about Indigo? So, no. Uh, Indigo was one of the alien races. The natives of Earth were even lower. Um, What's lower? (laughs) And the natives natives of Earth were specifically listed as Australian indigenous people and people that were like like tribal people of Africa. So... Uh, Okay, so... Specifically... Which is, like... I thought that the whole point was that Adam and Eve were the first humans in general on Earth. Oh, no, no, no. Adam and Eve were far from the first humans in this version. Um, Adam and Eve were the first of the right kind of alien to be sent to Earth in order to purify the Earth after Earth had rebelled in the Lucifer Rebellion. There were other people on Earth already, according to them, and Adam and Eve were sent to... Uh, repopulate and re-educate everybody it's like literally it's it's such an acid trip of a book my dude like it's like i'm actually okay i know this is bad but i'm like hung up on the fact that lucifer is considered a blue alien yeah when we all like so the whole 
everything no, I know. That I've learned I know. About, like with Lucifer from like Christianity or whatever is that he's like the devil. Yes. Yeah. And so I would yeah. have thought that he'd be like a red race or something. Like I, he's not I one of the didn't... good guys in this one. I okay. So I know that he was one of the aliens. I I I think he was one of the blue aliens. But to be honest, I started going cross-eyed reading this book, so I started losing track of who was what and what was who. So, okay. Um, I, I, I could be wrong about which specific alien race Lucifer was. Because I'm like, I'm not surprised. Like, the point is. Like, knowing our history, I'm not surprised that, like, other races would be considered as, like, the lesser than races or whatever. I'm yeah. just surprised that they would have still kept Lucifer as, like, possibly one of the good guys in their book. If you think about Lucifer's story, even, like, I think it's... I think it's more so in Catholicism. He started as an angel and then fell. So it would make sense if he was blue alien and then rebelled and then lost his status because of that. That doesn't change your race. So so does that make then Lucifer still the good guy? Because if he fell, he might have then been like on the, I'd be like, hey, we're so sorry for what we did to you, to the... Very much no. Their their argument is not so much that oh. he was the good guy. It was more so that he had the good genetics. Mm. Which is Thanks. interesting and kind of contradictory because they also believe that morality is passed through genetics. What? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the many things, one of the many fucked up things in this book. So... Yeah, I'm not even done yet. <laughs> so, number seven, point seven. The fair-skinned, blue-eyed people are, according to them, are apparently descendants of the blue race, whereas dark-skinned people were supposedly most commonly a mix between orange, green, and indigo people. Remember what I said about primary and secondary colors? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take much to, to realize how this is some racist bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm laughing about it because I feel awkward about it because it's like... It's so bad. It's so so bad. I'm like from step like, it's one. So it's, like from step and one, it's, it's racist as heck. Literally, it's like it's so racist. And it's no, and it's fucking insane because it's so so racist, and they insist that they're not being racist. And then they're taking like one of the purest things that we can think of, like a rainbow, and making it super not pure. So, okay, so point eight, my final point in all of this, uh, they also say that evil in the form of illness and disease still exists because the Earth's natives haven't been eradicated yet, and they praise eugenics as being the solution to this, directly referencing it. So basically, I am evil. Illness and disease is a result of evil. Someone who is ill and has a disease is not evil, but that illness and disease exists is a result of humans not using, or like not employing eugenics enough to their benefit that's the theory okay it's gross so like i said like like i said like i keep saying it's 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 just fucking gross so yeah it's definitely gross yeah so this cult refuses to admit that their ideals are racist even after all of that uh and siegel who is again a devout follower of this ideology co-wrote an article which is an essentially uh an faq about urantia and in it, he claims two things about race that don't initially seem to work together. On the one hand, he says that belonging to any particular, and this is, sorry, this is a quote, belonging to any particular race, however, provides no spiritual advantage or disadvantage. All persons are equal in the sight of God. But then on the other hand, he says that intersocializing between races was meant to bring out the best strains of genetics in each, but it 
quote, hasn't developed as planned and touts the Urantia book as the truth of existence. So this is where things get spicy. And this is the part that I was getting super excited about when I was uh, telling you, but I wasn't telling you what I was excited about. So a certain article was written about Siegel and his connection to Urantia and kind of took off in the media. This article was written in 2016. So might I remind everyone, this man flew under the, like, flew under the radar for like 40 years. But 2016, an article gets written about the founder and about his belief system and takes off in the media. It causes massive public backlash because what a catchy title, famous popular tea company founded by a cult. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something that I would definitely click on very quickly. Right? Gets like pretty quickly takes off, gets a little sensationalized, uh, causes massive public backlash. And honestly, it's a sensational story. So like, you know what? Fair play. The article quotes him as saying, quote, unfortunately, several factors hinder progress toward the development of a disease-free world. The laws of genetics are immutable and form the physical cornerstone of evolution. At the present time, mankind loses as about as much progress as it makes by ignoring eugenics, end quote. So, Searching through Siegel's article myself, the quote doesn't appear in the article. There is no date, addition information, or update information on Siegel's article. So there's no way to prove that it wasn't updated to a racist direct link to eugenics, but also no way to prove that it was actually there in the first place. It's just like a ghost article? Like... Except through the Wayback Machine. Okay. Ashley, what do you know about the Wayback Machine? I have not heard of the Wayback Machine. The Wayback Machine is every archivist's dream in the age of the internet. I fucking love this tool. So basically, the Wayback Machine is a website that anybody can go to, and you can search pretty much any website. And basically, it's a bot that scours the internet and saves everything. It will go from website to website and take screenshots of what it of what it looks like in that moment, and it will save it so that whoever wants to can go back and look at the screenshots of this website. So... This article written by Siegel was posted to the internet as a web page, right? Yeah. I was kind of like, okay, the Wayback Machine, it's good, but this is a pretty obscure thing. 50-50 shot whether it's in the Wayback Machine or not. Guess what the Wayback Machine has? The article. It has the original article. So, yeah, so it takes screenshots of all kinds of websites, saves them so you can look back on what they used to look like and what they used to say before. So the Wayback Machine first saved a version of Siegel's article in 2015, a year before the article that sparked public outcry against him was published. Okay, I'm not surprised. Right? So in the original version, the quote is still very present in the article. Okay. In fact, the original version looks quite different from the present version. And in the original version, he also goes on to essentially say that survival of the fittest was a form of natural eugenics and that modern advancements that increase quality of life and modern medicines are, quote, preserving weak and disease-prone human stocks to procreate, end quote. Which, if you actually think of, like, the implications of that, is ableist as fuck. (laughs) Yep. Um, I can verify that that is ableist AF. Yeah, it's disgusting. So the screen, sh- the next screenshot that the Wayback Machine has for the article is from March 28th of 2016, which is two months after the expose, and the article was edited to what we see today. So what does this tell us? This tells us this change may not, like, okay, so this change may not have happened that day, but it may have happened sooner, but that's, like, the next screenshot that the Wayback Machine has. Yeah. So to me, 
it's pretty clear that they received the backlash, realized that they were going to have to do some damage control, and changed it specifically just to remove that quote so it wouldn't be findable and would potentially like put the article that was written against them into public distrust. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, they sound like the people who would do that. It's shady as fuck. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, like, I felt super, super fucking proud of myself for remembering that the Wayback Machine exists uh, and for finding the original quote and confirming that, yes, the article did not misquote him. He did actually say that and then tried to do some damage control later when people told him, hey, probably shouldn't say that. So I currently feel embarrassed that I did not know about the Wayback Machine. And where the heck was this thing when we had, like, the Library of, of Alexandria that we could have used it? <laughs> the Wayback Machine is a fantastic website. I'm not sure how long it's been active. I've seen it used on YouTube channels a lot as a way of people, like, tracking back their growth. Okay, so it was it was launched in 2001. It Yeah, I see it used a lot by, like, YouTubers tracking, like, what their, like, YouTube channels used to look like and, like, how they've changed over the years. But it turns out it's not confined to YouTube and you can search for pretty much any website. It's just an internet archive and you can search for pretty much anything like if you just type in the URL. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun little thing. I'm going to be spending a lot of time on there. I would recommend. New obsession. Right. All right. So how does this, how does this really tie back to the company, right? So Siegel founded the company. He believed in this stuff. Clearly, he had some fucked up beliefs, but did it actually impact the company? Uh, short answer is yes. <laughs> I was going to say, like, he, especially in, like, 2016, most likely they would have had a ton of backlash yeah. to the company so, itself. Yeah, exactly. So even in the founding of the company, though, Urantia played a, ma- a major role. He was, first of all, quite public about his belief in the Urantia book. He wrote about the Urantia book in another book called, it's a long title, Bear with me. You've got to read this book. 55 people tell the story of the book that changed their life. So he wrote a portion in that book talking about how the Urantia book changed his life. So he's quite open and he's quite proud of this, clearly. In that, he said that, quote, it would feel selfish and wasteful to simply focus on material success, end quote, after having read Urantia. And the book was the inspiration for the quotes that they put on the side of their teabag boxes and on, like, the tags of the teabags. No. Our inspirational quotes are from, like, a racist mindfuck book? Mm, Yes. Okay. Which, like, okay, you take anything out of context and you can completely change the meaning of it, right? There's so many things I've said this podcast that can make me sound like an absolutely terrible person because I was quoting someone else. You take it out of context, it completely changes the meaning, right? Yeah. These inspirational quotes that, you know, most people would have just thought were just like, oh, like, this is just encouraging and inspirational. We're from a freaking white supremacist cult's holy book. So there's that. Some of them, I will say some of them, I want to be clear, not all of the quotes are from Urantia, but nonetheless, it gives me the heebie-jeebies to think that some of them are, and that he used his tea company to spread a hateful cult. I mean, it's a good way to spread a cult. (laughs) But not, though, because it's not like, they were just, like, inspirational quotes. Like, it's not like he, like, credited Urantia. that's true. So he was Probably. plagiarizing. I'm second guessing that. Did he? I'm like, so he was plagiarizing this book by putting the quotes on his teas that he was then selling to market? I mean, 
Because Listen, can you them. really plagiarize something that refuses to claim copyright for itself? I feel like that's just like taking what you're like taking what you're given at that point. But also, plagiarism so is the least concerning thing here. Yeah, but like you're not going to um, take like F. Scott Fitzgerald book that is in the public domain <laughs> now and quote it yeah. without representing that it's a quote from The Great Gatsby. True, true. And some of the other people, one of the other people listed was like Henry, Henry Thoreau and like, you know, so like old timey poets and stuff like that too, right? So yeah, I'm sure some of it was quoted. I'm sure some of the ones that weren't quoted were just casually Urantia being thrown out to the public. Yeah, so there's that. It's just so fucking ridiculous, dude. Like I, like this guy was so proud of this and then he got some public backlash and he's like oh let me reword that a little bit let's pretend this is fine and then is like still a part of it like so so according to an interview mentioned in the expose article where they interviewed one of the employees that like worked with the founders like one of the first five employees um oh i should mention too the article the expose article was initially produced or initially published in uh, a magazine called van winkles So if you're looking for it, that might be one of the terms that you're looking for. So, yeah. So one of the first five employees said that the founders would quote Urantia at staff meetings and used it as the moral guide of the company. Okay. Which is concerning given some of of the morals taught in that book. They are a health company. It's, It's just, it's not, it's not a great, it's not a great look. No. Like, this is the foundation of the morals of their company, and they want to base it off of this, and they're pretending that it's fine. Like, it's gross. Yeah, it's very gross. I am not impressed with these people. Yeah. And I'm glad that I currently do not own any of this tea. Right? I didn't know about this. I um, watched a, a deep dive about this on YouTube. That's where I first heard of it. And immediately recognized the box and went, oh, no, I think I may possibly still have, like, one or two bags kicking around somewhere from, like, having bought this ages and ages ago when I was having some serious sleep issues and someone told me that they swore by this tea and so I gave it a try. Uh, Like, it just, it feels gross. It feels icky. It's, But this kind of brings us to, like, where are we now? So the followers of the Urantia book, they call themselves the Fellowship. They obviously won't admit that it's a cult. And technically, like I mentioned at the beginning, it isn't classified as a destructive cult. I think, from what I could pick up, this is probably because it's not a particularly like closed off group. Like some other modern cults that are classified as cults have very strict rules about um, who you can interact with and what you're allowed to do and things like that. That the fellowship as a whole doesn't necessarily have. But the book itself claims that someday in the future, Christianity should be replaced by the fellowship with a, quote, a new cult, end quote, as the true religion. It references itself as a cult and its followers go out and tell people that it isn't, which is already kind of like, like, it's just like, okay, so you're just lying to my face then. Like your own holy book says that it's a cult and you're going to tell me that it isn't. I don't believe anything else that you have to say. But yeah, you know, take that as you will. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Although, I mean, like, I do question for, like, the current followers. Mm -hmm. It may not be, like, a destructive cult in the sense of, like, Marilyn Manson or some of the suicide cults. Mm -hmm. But how many of these people are going around and possibly encouraging some Mm -hmm. of, like, the riots 
and stuff like that down in like the states and like mm-hmm. some of the stuff that we're seeing like, yeah i mean and, yeah or it would encouraging line up with like the, the roe versus wade and different things like that i don't want to give this cult too much credit to be honest i don't think this is entirely supposition but i don't think that they're powerful enough to influence much of those things no but, but like they'd definitely be powerful enough that the people that like the membership would like being it would the be membership, like, yeah. it would the help that grow be because of like oh we're gonna join that because that sounds like our membership well i mean if you think about it though wouldn't they be like pro-abortion as long as it's aborting the i mm, i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know i think it's it, but like the from, race riots and stuff like that lgbtq like, plus um mm-hmm. stuff right like when we look at a lot of the stuff that like Roe versus Wade is going to open up the doors for yeah. in the future, that's, no, that's the stuff that this point. cult would definitely be like all in for and assist in the destruction of like, yes, they're not maybe they're going to be powerful enough to be destructive on their own, mm-hmm. but they're going to be a major assistance to the destruction that yeah. our that society just seems to be careening <laughs> towards without yeah. breaks. Exactly. So this is the thing. So the individual members have as much influence as any other individual member of society, um, at least. And like, you're right, they definitely like, there, there would be, obviously, sides of certain arguments that that they would be falling on that would be fairly destructive, um, or very destructive, depending on which specific topic we're talking about today. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is a good point. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, what from what I could find uh, from the book, it's like I, I did flip through a little bit of the book itself. And like I said, it broke my brain. It made no sense. But from what I could see in there, it sounded like they didn't support violence per se. It promoted more so preventative measures. Like they would be the kind of people to... Like, I mean, obviously, there's the kind of people who are racist and will say that they're not racist, but they would be the kind of people who wouldn't, like, say that they're racist, but also would, like, not encourage their white daughter to marry a black man, essentially, right? Like, they're they're worried about um, genetics and uh, the way that genetics are passed down and stuff. So I don't, I, I don't think that there's much basis from my, from my light scouring of their very confusing book and my looking through the article about... Um, like, I read, like, the article about, like, the 22 questions, or, like, most commonly asked questions, and it didn't look like they were specifically encouraging violence. It looked like they were discouraging it. But, yeah, so, like, outwardly violent, I don't know, but definitely passively ignorant and terrible, for sure. Yeah, and they could do a lot of harm with that alone, even if they're not personally outwardly physically violent. Like, they're, like, the cult of microaggressions, I don't think is, like, a... Yeah, so I don't think we need to be worried about this cult, like, you know, picking up flaming torches and hitting people with it or anything like I But definitely in the way that they would vote and in the way that they would protest and in things like that, they could do a lot of, like, societal damage. I don't know if I, if that came across as clearly as I wanted it to, but that was good. <laughs> I mean, it's clear to me, so. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, like, physical violence, not so much political violence, probably. Okay. So there is the other point as well that um, some of the leaders that manage... The groups would classify as cults, but they're like smaller groups under the Urantia umbrella as well. So like it is it is possible that some of the smaller groups would be run a little bit differently, would have slightly different beliefs, 
than like the overall group as well um so that's not to say that like they couldn't be violent or they couldn't favor that as a means to an end yeah that's just my thought on the like the morality of the book as a whole yeah does that make sense no it definitely makes sense i wish it didn't make sense but it makes sense (laughs) yeah right so the urantia foundation still exists it is classified as a nonprofit organization, by the way, which means that they get classified as a nonprofit in the same way that like a church does or like any other religion does. Siegel himself left uh, Celestial Seasonings in 2000, uh, 2002 with his co-founder John Hay having left decades earlier after being much less open about his involvement with Urantia outside the company. But Siegel has been a trustee of the Urantia Foundation since 1998 and still like and now currently sits as their president so he clearly still believes what the book preaches very much so if he's president of the whole thing yeah he also more recently was appointed to the great outdoors colorado board in boulder in 2019 so he's still around and active protecting colorado parks and wildlife and advocating for a white supremacist cult while still pretending somehow that it isn't a white supremacist cult so he's busy He's busy. He's a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So. I wonder if the animals also a... have colors. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no idea, dude. <laughs> like, what color would the cats be? Like, your, your general oh, house cat. What know. color would they be considered? Like. Right. Like, there's so many bizarre things oh. that they believe that it just makes everything, like. I mean, everything that they believe is bizarre. It's just some of it is, like bizarre and ridiculous but it was like also a common line of thought like too common of a line of thought before world war ii when one person in particular got like extremely demonized for a line of thinking that a lot of people had and a lot of people didn't want to admit that they had yeah it's just it's just all ridiculous it's all intense it's all insane it's like ben and i were talking about like application and stuff and i was like okay so like He's not the CEO anymore. He doesn't officially have any connection to it anymore. So buying a box of tea from this company probably isn't supporting him. It's possible that they stopped using inspirational quotes from Rearantia ages ago. But the foundation of the company cannot be changed. It is founded in the morality from, or what they call morality from this book. And like, I like, I just, I couldn't support a company, like... I'm not I'm not out here telling anybody else what to do, but I, I couldn't support a company that I that was founded in this line of thought. Like that's like No. Not knowingly. No, I mean we see that with like today's cancel culture, like mm-hmm. so I mean like it makes sense. Like you can't like it's hard to separate yeah. the product with the creator. Exactly. Right? And like I've got so many questions about this company about how much stuff they like kind of slid under the rug. And like got away with because it was like the sixties and the seventies. I'm I'm very curious about like what their work culture as a whole was like. Mm-hmm. Like for the employees. Yeah. Like unless they had like exclusively white people working there and which in its own would be like like that alone would be discriminatory. But if there was anybody of color working for that organization at the height of like Siegel's involvement, I'm I'm concerned for them, and I hope they're doing well nowadays. Like, I, I I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like to have to listen to your boss, like the CEO, talking about this kind of shit, like, in yeah. staff meetings. No, like, that would be... 
a horrible workplace. And, I mean, even, like, if they had just Caucasian people working there. Yeah. It's based like off that. of the idea of oriental tea. Yeah, right? This so is the wildest thing. The two thi- the two ideas just... don't mesh anyways because you're literally <laughs> making money off of the people that you say shouldn't totally. it's, be there. It's, <laughs> like, literally, it's a thousand percent appropriation. Like, he... he like he's got I, I have some of them in my sources but he's got like biographies from other websites that mention nothing about his involvement with urantia i might add um but praise him as being like this like innovative creator and he was directly copying what was already being done in asia and then using local herbs like there's no way that like you know like local indigenous people weren't using those herbs already yeah so he's innovating nothing he's just claiming like claiming steak as the first white man to do it here essentially so he's like he's built this whole thing on like oh this is such a unique concept he didn't come up with it he wasn't the first person to realize that chamomile could be drinking as a tea to help you fall asleep like like it's just like everything about this is just absolutely insane I'm going to be wrapping my head around it for a while. I know, right? Like, it's just such a mind boggle to read this, to be so convinced that everything it's saying is fact when it is demonstrably false, and then to preach it like it's fact, and then to continue for, like, 50 years, and to get away with it for, like, a long-ass time before anybody called him out. Wasn't 2016-ish when, (laughs) like, the Me Too movement and a lot of the stuff kind of became popular again in society if we want to put it that way yeah yeah i think the me too movement was around the same time 2015 2016 so the fact that so many people could get away with a lot of stuff and then it kind of comes up into a pop into like popular um societal view at the same time as when the stuff is becoming unpopular kind of makes sense to me yeah but it, it would make sense though because like that definitely was getting to the point in the internet age where you're right, like it was making like a big resurgence around that time as well. And it, yeah, is definitely becoming a lot more common to like hold the people who have the power accountable. Yeah. Especially in terms of like CEOs and like, you know, men in power like that. Yeah. So, I mean, like I'm not surprised that it could go under the radar for so long just because society had like mm-hmm. the blame like, they had their blinders on like, society has the blinders that okay you're not doing anything that is going to harm me personally therefore mm. i will ignore it and then the people who it is affecting know that the people who are actually going to be able to do anything about it don't care so they shush because they're like nobody's going to help us now we're yeah. at the point that it's like we now actually are going to show like, try to show that we care yeah like, doesn't mean that everybody who's seeing don't... it does care, but yeah, um, but yeah. there's at least it's like the attempt. <laughs> yeah, the attempt is there, and it, yeah, it's it's exactly it's like people are getting to a point where it's like enough is enough. Sit down, shut up, and listen to me. Yeah, um, you know I'm hurting, and I'm going to express that, and I'm going to do what I can to make it stop. And then it's like making other people see, and like, and other people are like choosing to see, and that oh, yeah, no, people don't deserve to be treated like this. I don't care who they are. They don't deserve to be talked down to like this. They don't deserve to be othered like this. They don't deserve, like, the way that society as a whole is treating them. Yeah. 
and they never deserved it. And it never should have happened to, in, in, to begin with, but we can't change that it happened. So now all that we can do is change it so that it stops happening. Yeah. And we've got such a long way to go, but I think calling out like shady people like this and like things like that and like holding them accountable and, you know, not showing them your support by buying their products and stuff like that, you know, they call it voting with your wallet. Like, I, I don't know how effective it is on the micro scale, but I think if we all en masse did things like that, like, I feel like it would affect a lot more change. Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? As well as get involved in your local elections. This man is on a government board. Like, <laughs> yeah. Pay attention to who you are. Yeah, exactly. And like, Supporting. his position, like, his position, I don't know if he was voted in or if he was like nominated in or something, but like, yeah, like research who you support before you go vote for them. Do the work. Do the do the like heavy lifting. Like make sure that the people who represent you have the same ideals as you, you know? Yeah. And, and if like, you have ideals like this, maybe sit down and shut up though. <laughs> yeah, and like people are gonna make mistakes. But yeah. if they continue to make the mistakes over very They're a like, very long period of time, then don't trust them. For like fifty years, I feel like it's not years, a mistake anymore. This is a, a this anymore. is a very intentional decision that but he like, profited from too. But like I'm meaning like in like today's society, right? Like yeah. in high school, maybe somebody made like a small mis- like made a mistake and made a comment. If mm-hmm. they've shown that they've that they know that they did it wrong, let that be. They've yeah, like <laughs> yeah, people can still learn and change. That's that's I yeah. like that's so so true. But like fifty years. Like if they're doing, if they're holding on to something for like fifty years, yeah, then yeah. think twice maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like it just, it really just sounds like he could have just been like a harmless hippie, and then he was like, you know what? Actually, what if we did that, but then also aliens and eugenics? Yeah, no, like yeah. the stuff that's in that book is like absolutely bonkers. So, like, I tried to read a little bit of it, and it was talking about Adam and Eve were elected on another planet, and they'd already had like eighty children. There was, like, a whole government system and, like, a whole people already there. And then they came in and they were, like, supposed to, like, save everybody. Like, it, like, talked in detail about all these rituals that they went through and all this stuff. And I'm, like, and we have no evidence of this happening. And their math doesn't add up, too, by the way. Their math about, like, how long ago things happened doesn't add up, like, at all. They were saying that this happened in, like... 2000 AD and then said that that was like 32,000 years ago which doesn't so they failed math math, got it so they failed math uh they failed uh astrophysics and they failed biology and they claim to know the truth in all of these things unless they have a different like measuring system or AD means something different to them than it does to us but like I don't know dude it went into some pretty wild territory pretty quick and it was like okay so you're saying that there was like all of this happens and we just have no record of it whatsoever there's no remnant of this other society that apparently existed before modern society i don't know who the heck knows with either of our cults who knows yeah i mean (laughs) i'm pretty sure we know that the same right (laughs) yeah like i said i'm i'm not i'm not one to shit on other people's beliefs you can believe what you want i believe what i want but like this is this this goes a few steps beyond just like a harmless belief system this this goes into actually hurting people territory and uh, don't stand for that like no if your belief system tells you to hurt other people you're probably doing it wrong 
yeah so those are our those are our, uh, our cults for today <laughs> so yeah we've got the mystery set in history and we've got the modern conundrum that is somehow still kicking so next week we've got a little bit of a lighter episode hopefully ideally <laughs> yep we're back to um history based off of musicals basically <laughs> Considering Pretty that, like, much. half, like, literally half of our topics so far have been based off of musicals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Anne Bonny, like, to my knowledge, I hope there's a musical about Anne Bonny, but to my knowledge, there is none. I, we should write a musical about Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. That would be so cool. That would uh. be a cool one. I think there might be a play, maybe, about them, possibly. I don't know. But Wait, it sounds familiar. I don't know. It just sounds familiar. I didn't dig in. I didn't find anything like that in my research, but now I want to dig into that. Like, well, specifically we will take a look. If not, if not, then everybody can look forward to a play or a musical about <laughs> Anne Bonny and <laughs> and Mary Reed, written by us. So next week, do we want to tell them who we're talking about next week? Well, I guess we could probably because I mean we're doing a, technically we're doing like a two week stint of historical figures from Hamilton the musical. Yeah, it's true. Although, actually, three of them are from Hamilton the Musical. One is just related to people from Hamilton the Musical. So, yeah. So next week, we're talking about uh, the two other Schuyler sisters who did not marry Hamilton. And then the week after that, we're talking about a descendant of Hamilton as well as Theodosia Burr because it's a fucking beautiful song and I want to know who it was written about. So, a little bit lighter content, hopefully some better impacts on society <laughs> so far from what i've already researched i next week we'll have lighter content the week after will not oh no i have high hopes for bit for peggy schuyler though i i hope that my girl doesn't do me wrong she yeah i feel like she's very understated and very yeah underappreciated so we'll, we'll just have to find out on next week's yeah. episode How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.